Hello, I'm Alberto Salvato. Welcome to Crime Time, a Virginia criminal law podcast. I'm here with Anna Dvorak, Anthony Norse, and Ann Thayer. Enjoy the show. So here it is, legal disclaimer, because we are lawyers and we've got to write one. So if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. We sincerely hope you are listening to this podcast for its entertainment value and not with the intention of acquiring legal advice for any individual case or situation. I mean, come on, you wouldn't take advice from someone you have never met or spoken to directly, right? If you were bleeding profusely, you wouldn't listen to a podcast in hopes of a bandage somehow materializing over the internet and onto your 3D printer. Seeking actual legal advice can be just as important as a tourniquet. The hosts of this podcast are in no way intending to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Sorry, we are sure you all are great people, but we cannot stress enough how little we know of you and your case. And rather than risk an awkward moment, let us just remember we have never met. Nothing on this platform should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. We are just a group of friends with differing opinions and viewpoints, which we will try to explore through discussions of current events, law changes, and whatever else floats our fancy. Today's episode... How do we sleep at night? As criminal defense attorneys, we've all been approached or asked by our neighbors, our friends, even our our significant others. How do you sleep at night? How do you represent a guilty person knowing they're guilty? And, and how can you how can you morally go to court and, and do what you do? How can you get someone who's guilty off of a case and and you know be found innocent? And my answer to them is that for those reasons, I actually could, I sleep really well. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all when I get a guilty person off of a case because the government didn't do their job and dot all the I's across all the T's. I think that's what our job is. Uh, but I do lose sleep for some other cases. And I think uh, those reasons you may find surprising. One of them, if I feel that's, that somebody's innocent and they're convicted, I lose sleep for years and years and years over that case, just uh, brooding over it. But I'd like to ask uh, everyone else on this podcast what they feel and what they've experienced in life. Well, I think also in addition to worrying about a case you've already lost, I think if you have somebody that you think is truly innocent, you tend to lose sleep heading up to the trial, uh, worrying about what could happen because I think we've all had cases that we should have won, but somehow we've lost. And that uh, is, you, you think about that heading into the trials uh, as you're preparing, knowing that a lot is on the line with this person who you truly believe is innocent, but everybody does deserve a very fair trial. And I think that is a huge part of our job is just to make sure that all the rules are followed, that the constitution is followed, that everybody does their job. And as Tony said, like those are the cases that really we struggle with when we really believe someone's innocent and it doesn't go their way. But there's also cases where people did do something wrong but we don't think the punishment is fitting what they did or their background, whether it's mental health or substance abuse or whatever the issues were in the case. We have people, it's different. Every jurisdiction, it's different, even within the same courthouse and different courtrooms with different judges, different prosecutors. And sometimes it's the luck of the draw on how things shake out in terms of a deal someone's accepting to avoid worse penalties for trial and you know they might have done something, but you really believe that the penalty they're getting is not fitting with what would happen in other um, situations or for that particular person's circumstances. And those things really weigh on you when you beat yourself up because you wanted to do better and your hands are kind of tied. And I've had cases actually where my client has hypothetically done what the government says but there's some case that uh, has uh, some sort of defense that's beneficial to my client. 
uh, that causes the judge to have to find them not guilty. And I'm usually happy to share that with the Commonwealth, the, the prosecutor and the police officer after the case, uh, if they're interested to find out why it was that this case was dismissed. Uh, because I think if everybody gets better at their job, then I think the whole system works. Well, there are very few cases that um, I've ever lost sleep over, except for the ones that have already been discussed. And, and, and there are certain times when clients who I truly believe are innocent and talk about taking offers um, in those cases because the risks are so high for them to go to jail, especially in cases where you believe allegations, there isn't any evidence other than verbal allegations. There's no DNA, there's no videotapes, there's nothing like that. And these days, that's very rare that there's no other evidence. But when there are allegations from 20, 25 years ago of perhaps sexual assault or things like that, that can't be proved. Maybe you had your client do a polygraph, pass as a polygraph, which is, by the way, not admissible in court, but you truly believe your client is not guilty of anything. But to, to go to trial, they're facing so much time. Say it's a rape case, say it's a, a aggravated sexual battery. These are all significant. And so sometimes in cases like that, you counsel your client or try to negotiate a really good deal for them because you're very concerned that the downside of going to trial, even if they're innocent, um, the truth doesn't always win out. We know that. You know, everybody has watched podcasts and documentaries of people who have been serving 25 years in prison and then they're found to be not guilty because somebody else did it, usually through DNA evidence or anything like that. But there are a lot of cases where there's just, you know, it's who do you believe? Um, and then who do you think a jury would believe or a judge? So it's, those are cases where even when you strike a deal and you know you're protecting your client as much as they can and it's their choice and they understand the the options, you still lie awake at night saying this is a really unfair result that any conviction or any um, any result other than not guilty or just having the case dismissed um, seems totally unjust. And those are the cases and that Anna, keep me you, up. You hit that right on the head with with it's not our decision. So we all fight cases. We like to try cases. We all argue. We're all attorneys. Um, but at the end of the day, we go home at the end of a case. So for us, yes, there may be great issues in your case that we would love to litigate and challenge and fight for you. But the risk, if we lose or if a judge or a jury doesn't see it that way, the risk to you could be so high that you're not willing to take that risk. And so when you go to trial, you have to understand that you're stuck with whatever that judge or jury decides, and we can't go back later and fight it if you decide to go to trial and it doesn't go your way, or you can't go back and say, okay, now I want that plea agreement because it was better than what I got. Um, you have to make those decisions not knowing how a trial would end up, or if you could have done better at trial than you would have with the plea. And on a similar note, I, I think we've all had clients that are in jail uh, when an offer is made and we think we have a strong case, but we can't get to trial for several months or even longer. And we have an option that gets the person out of jail that day. And the person decides they want to take the offer that gets them out of jail that day, even if we think we have a strong case and could potentially win it. Uh, sometimes people want to take the route that gets them out of jail. And that's a valid decision because I don't think anybody wants to be sitting in jail if they have an opportunity to get out that day. But regardless of how strong the case is, the client can always make the decision to take whatever offer is made. Uh, and there's lots of reasons that they might decide to take an offer. 
And some people take a felony with no jail because they just don't want to go to jail. You know, um, sometimes we've had offers where there's misdemeanors with jail and they're like, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather have the felony and not go to jail. People have different rationales and backgrounds and situations that are going on with their own lives that make them decide what's most important for them. And all that we can do as your counsel is go through with you the pros and cons of go to trial, take a plea. Here's everything that you need to consider. And we'll answer all those questions. But at the end of the day, we don't get to make that decision for you. And your friends or family or people that you care about can help you figure that out. Um, I don't know about everybody else, but I will speak to your family or friend or whoever you want me to, to help understand so that you guys can talk about it. I know some lawyers won't talk to family and friends. I think it's important, especially when you're making a decision about your life. If you want to be on a call with me, with your mom or your wife or whoever, I don't mind doing that because I want you to be able to discuss it with them so that they understand the good and the bad. And you as a family or in your circle can figure out what's the best thing for you. Because when you do a plea agreement, the judge will ask you, is this, did you decide this for yourself? And it has to be your decision. And and I'll tell you one thing that I, I struggle with, and, and I don't mind talking to the to the family if I'm given permission to do that, but oftentimes the expectation is just unrealistic. Uh, and you may have, you know, you have parents think of themselves, well, my, my child, my 45-year-old child would never do such a thing like that. I can't believe that he's being charged. But what people need to understand, our job is not necessarily always determining guilt and innocence. And there's so much more beyond that. There's, as you said, the I don't even ask people if they're guilty. I say, tell me what happened and we figure it out. Like, that's That's not even a concern of mine. Yeah. The last question I have, I I never ask that question. Are you guilty of this? I, I don't, frankly, I approach every case the same, but you know, which cases are like, you know, they come in there and tell you I wasn't even there or I didn't do this or I'm being accused of something. Uh, or worse yet, and this happens all the time in the Commonwealth, maybe you, you'll see some changes to this with uh, if true criminal justice reform happens, but people are overcharged all the time. So you're charged with a felony and it shouldn't be a felony, or you're charged with two or three charges. And our job isn't necessarily to get someone completely off. It's to, to really, if you want justice and they have the goods, let's get it down. There's a reason why a class one misdemeanor has a possible jail sentence of one day to 12 months or zero days of, of jail up to 12 months in jail. Uh, not every DWI should get 12 months in jail. I don't think any DWI should, but uh, there's a reason why the legislators thought it was legit to put down such a big uh, spectrum of time that you could get. Same thing with felonies. So our job and the reason why I sleep at night is because I really am fighting for what I believe is just for that particular person in that in that situation. And I, that's a really important job. And like what Ann and Anna were saying, like sometimes we get hammered. Sometimes, and I say we because at that point when you're when you're sentencing or you're you're arguing for sentencing for your client, oftentimes we've already become emotionally involved and we are really fighting for their lives and the family is behind us and the family, no matter what's going to be angry with us, uh, even though it's the judge who determines or the jury who determines that sentencing. Uh, so it, it's that things like that keeps me from, from sleeping well at night. It's um, when a result comes out that I don't think is just. Just to build on what Alberto was saying is that you do get to know your clients over a period of time, maybe maybe a little less so if it's a reckless driving ticket. But oftentimes we do when it, you know, when in bigger charges where we're putting together mitigation. And in my career, which has been in about 17 years, um, I I've met a lot of people and very few of them don't have any redeeming qualities. 
they all are struggling with different things. Um, there are different things going on in those days. You know, traffic offenses are a little different, but you know, DUI, there are always mitigating circumstances, you know, assaults, stabbings, even sexual assaults. You know, you think, oh, how can a woman represent somebody who's been accused of doing rape or any of those other things? And the thing is, most people are not these sociopaths that we see on TV, you don't, you know, criminal minds, all these shows that are just sort of these people lurking in the shadows that aren't really people. Our clients are people. Maybe some of them have given up the right to see the light of day, perhaps. But I think it's very important that the role of the defense attorney in our system is to not only uphold the constitution and make the system work and make sure that the government doesn't railroad people, but it's also just I like fighting for the underdog, for people that no one else will talk to and showing their humanity. I think that is something that makes me feel good about life. And that's why I do what I do. Um, I have a lot of other reasons why I became a defense attorney. I mean, I started as a public defender, but I really enjoy helping people. And sometimes you know, my clients don't recidivate. They don't ever like commit another crime. And I only get referrals. As I always say, I never want to see them again. I just want you know any referrals that they might have. I think as defense attorneys, we uniquely see the humanity of people. Um, and I also, I think Alberta was having a conversation with a police officer about this kind of exact issue. I think police officers get to see the humanity of some of our clients as well. And sometimes police officers go to bat for our clients with the prosecutors, which has definitely helped in cases where we don't really have defenses. I, and, and yes, I had a, I'm sorry, Tony, go ahead. I was just going to say, when it gets to sentencing, the judge is looking at a snapshot of that person because the judge is presented with this potentially horrible thing that this person has not been convicted of doing. And part of our job is to make sure the judge sees more than just that snapshot in time, that this person has a lot of other qualities that are different from what the judge is seeing during the sentencing event. And what Anna was saying is absolutely true. We need to uh, make sure the judge is aware a lot more than just this offense. And, and taking advantage of what um, this delay with COVID, a lot of cases are dragging on. It's a lot of what your client does between uh, the offense date and the actual sentencing date, uh, depending on the charge, of course, uh, like reckless drivings and many misdemeanors, you can do a lot of uh, community service, a lot of classes. You could you could do some, some therapy sessions, depending on what uh, what's necessary, maybe some uh, substance abuse uh, treatment. Uh, and if you could present that to the judge at the end, you may be able to get some, uh, you know, favorable outcome for your client. But uh, I want to touch on what Anna was saying. I did have a conversation with a police officer in Prince William County just a couple of days ago. And he, he asked me that question. It was like, how do you represent a you know guilty person knowing that the guilty? And I said, listen, it's not just that I got to make sure that you do your job because by me making sure that you do your job. And Tony touched on this before it makes the system go better. We have to, check and we have to check that you're doing everything legitimately. You have to make sure that you're following the rules because if you don't follow the rules, you're violating the constitution. In my mind, that's, that's 10,000 times worse than, than many of the misdemeanors that we prosecute because we're the, the court system is relying on truthfulness of the law enforcement. They're relying on the integrity of the Commonwealth attorney's office to provide the defense attorneys with the, with what they need. And, the system needs us. It's our job. Defense attorneys are required to be in there to check and make sure that everything is being followed. So that's something that we're really proud of and something that we will continue to do and fight for. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Like if you or your loved one ends up in a situation whether you did something or not, the bottom line is people can accuse people of things that they didn't do, or you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time, or maybe you did do something wrong. Um, you want 
your day in court. You want somebody fighting for you. You want somebody, as Alberto said, checking the balances on what the officers did. Was the law followed? Are there suppression issues? Are there constitutional violations? Is the prosecutor giving over all the evidence that you know we're entitled to? Can we get you a fair deal? Can we get you um, a judge that's unbiased, that's making sure that they're hearing um, your case for what it is? Like you need somebody to do that. And whether it's you or someone that you care about, um, the system doesn't work if we're not there to fight for you. And so we may get a bad rap sometimes. I think attorneys are often accused of not caring or being liars, or we just care about the money and things like that. I can tell you that people, most people that do criminal defense work, they care about getting it right and they care about fighting for justice and for making sure that your constitutional rights are protected. And that doesn't mean it goes our way all the time because we know it's stacked against us, but we do our best. And our job is not always necessarily just to win, but our job is to get you the best outcome that we can. And sometimes that's a dismissal. Sometimes it's a null process. Sometimes it's a trial. Sometimes it's a plea. Um, sometimes it's saving you time on your sentencing, um, but whatever it ends up being, I, I know and the people that are sitting on this podcast with me right now, our goal is to get you the best outcome that we can. And that's all that we can do is fight for that each and every day for every person that comes through our doors. And sometimes it's just a matter of making sure the rules of trial are followed because like what everybody's been saying, the Commonwealth needs to be able to prove their case according to the rules of evidence and according to the Constitution. And oftentimes, if there's nobody there standing up for the defendant, a lot of those rules just get rolled over and the judge will hear everything, whether or not it's admissible. And when the judge hears everything, the judge is in a position where they may have to convict. But by applying rules of evidence or suppressing evidence that's inadmissible, sometimes the judge won't hear the things that are incriminating. And that can make a huge difference in the case. It could be the difference between guilt and innocence, frankly. I got into law, and I know, I think I did it around the same time. But I, I guess all of us are probably within that 17 to 20-year mark of practicing. Am I right? Yes, 17 for me. Yeah. So we have we have about 75 years of, uh, almost 80 years of experience between. Don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, okay, I'm sorry. I just my, but anyhow, uh, I'll take that like, back. When I yeah. see that on law firms, I'm like, really? 80? I, I don't know. Like, I. <laughs> hey, this, we have a lot of experience. Between, you know, we have public, former public defenders here. We have, uh, you know, uh, some of us has, uh, continue to take court-appointed cases, uh, I, I know wasn't I've been discounting the experience. I'm discounting the combined 80 years. That well, I, I know, but I mean, I, well, I, I'm still, I, think I look eight. great for 80 years. Well, I look like long. crap, but anyway, <laughs> Damn, I want to be retired on a beach at 80. Years. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, not doing criminal law work. We're not, we're never going to get that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, listen, so I, I got into law. Uh, my father was an attorney. Uh, it still is an attorney. And, when we did it, and when he did it, he kind of uh, was handling mostly Spanish-speaking clients, uh, and they weren't really being represented 30 years ago. Uh, not many people actually spoke Spanish. The court system wasn't really prepared to handle Spanish speakers and, and people who only spoke Spanish and not English. So uh, for us, and growing up in that environment, it was kind of cool to see my father representing the, these immigrants who come in and are completely lost. Sometimes they don't realize why they're being charged with certain crimes. That's a different uh, culture. It's a different uh, set of facts and laws that, that they have to abide by. So like when I started 20 years ago, it is 20 years now. Uh, but when I started, it was 
still almost the same way. Uh, and I, I feel a lot of comfort knowing that I help people understand what the system is about. And I enjoy doing that. And I think that that's something that, uh, that makes me proud and, and keeps me sleeping at night for three or four hours. <laughs> Admit it, Alberto, you're playing cornhole all night. <laughs> I play cornhole all the time. You probably play cornhole in your sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's funny. Everything I do, it's like if I, if I see a, a trash can or something, I just roll up the ball and try to underhand it into it. But anyhow, that's just me. <laughs> Notice he said, try everybody. He said, try. Nobody's a hundred percent perfect. You have some good cornhole players out there. They block the hole and, and there's some strategy involved. So hopefully I, I try to. I think the bottom line is with all this, what we wanted to convey to people is that we do sleep, but there are days where it's a struggle and you're juggling a lot of things and you have those clients that weigh on you, whether it's that case you should have won, whether it's the client that should have been charged, whether it's the, um, you know, the person that took the plea that you just wish you could have had a crystal ball to go and tell them we're going to go to trial and win this. So you don't have to be there. You know, it's not an easy job and we fight our hearts out for every single person that we represent. That wraps up today's episode of Crime Time. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again. Good night.